Uh, beginning November 29th of 2020, a year ago, and ending on the 27th of 2020, we celebrated a five-week Advent series as preached from the Old Testament in the book of Micah. We celebrated the absolute truth that God is coming for his people. I'm going to say that again. God is coming for his people. Got a few amens on that one. Okay, good. His kingdom will reign, and his promises will be fulfilled completely. We were looking forward to being speaking last week about his vision for Cross Point of 2021. Well, he came down with COVID on Friday, and that didn't happen. He's still struggling with it. So we're going to anticipate Ben's return to the pulpit soon so that he can speak of, of the vision for Cross Point for 2021. Sadly, last week we had to cancel our morning services because it had been on Friday and none of the other elders were ramped or prepared. So Ben just said, you know, let's just, let's do this at home, encourage people to worship. And that's what we did. And we had a sweet time. I hope you did too. So Ben is recovering slowly. He's struggling with this. So we, we look forward to him coming back. Now, in the midst of our situation currently in the world, this pandemic, this quarantine, all the stuff that's going on, to say that we've had a number of challenging, challenges is a major understatement. You know, 2020, you say, boy, 2020 was challenging. There, there's not a word big enough to cover that. And what we're looking forward to in 2021 is also challenging. There's not a word big enough to cover that either. But guess what? God covers it. And that's what we're going to work on this morning. That's what we're going to talk about. The changes that we've experienced, has, it's caused us to wonder and question a number of things. You know, we, we question our security that we didn't question before. You know, we took a lot of things for granted. On the plus side of some of the challenges that we experienced in 2020, we slowed down a little bit. We spent more time with our families. We downsized some things that needed to be downsized. Those are some positive things. On the negative side of that, it caused people to question even their faith at times. It caused them to think through, am I really believing what I need to believe? One of the challenges that hits people, and I see this a lot in counseling, is people question their very existence. Why am I here? Who am I? It's a very real question. We've, we've examined that recently. Bill talked about earlier about authentic manhood starting again on January 21st. We're excited about that study. Um, get in touch with me or Bill or, or uh, Robert Bledsoe and just show up at 6 o'clock Thursday morning or 6 o'clock Thursday night. We'll get you set. You don't need anything before that. We'll have the books for you. But one of the challenges that we studied through that was that question, who am I? It's a very real question. It's a very real question that deserves an answer. It's an answer that God gives us in his word. That question, you know, people, people ask me sometimes in counseling, you know, why am I here? Why am I taking up space? Why am I breathing air? Why am I ingesting food? Why am I walking around we used to bump into people. We don't bump into people too much anymore, but 
You know, we're, we're, we're just, we're taking up space. Why? What am I supposed to be in order to be significant? It's a very real question. <clears throat> There's all kinds of answers to those questions presented by the world. Some people just look for that next million. Yeah. You know, that's supposed to be funny. Uh, but you know, some people think that if they, if, they, if they earn enough money, they'll be significant. Or if they drive the right kind of car, they'll be significant. Or if they have the right kind of house, they'll be significant. Or if they have a certain group of friends, they'll be significant. Or if they're married to the right person, that will give them significance. That doesn't hold up. Some believe that they need to lose themselves in their careers in order to be significant. They believe they need to lose themselves in rearing their children and pour everything into that, and then they'll find significance. I heard early on when we first joined Cross Point, 2004, somewhere around in there, 2003 to 2004, that children were being taught. You know, we had real, real young children then. There weren't, there weren't nearly as many children as we have now. But through the years at Cross Point, the children's ministry has really focused on three questions. Who created me? God. What is my only hope in this life for salvation? Jesus Christ. Why am I here? That's that significance question. Why am I here? The answer to that is to glorify God. Now that, those words may sound real simple and you think about it and you, gee, I'm not sure I know how to do that. Well, we're going to talk about that from the book of James this morning. So turn with me to the book of the first chapter of James. We're going to be looking at verses 22 through 25. We're going to parachute into this letter from James and address this all too important question, why am I here? What purpose do I serve? What is my call from God in this world? So please stand with me and join me as we read God's Word in James 1, verses 22 through 25. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Join me in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ability we have to read your word not just to us, but to read it back to you. Knowing, Father, that you hear us, knowing that you are here, knowing that you are covering us even now with your presence. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word, and it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this letter from James, 
which God preserved for us as part of his completed word, many times is referred to as a rule book, R-U-L-E, rule. And in the book of James, you'll find a lot of different commandments. And he lays out what the Christian is supposed to look like. God does that very clearly in the book of James. We could spend many weeks on this book, but I'm going to parachute into this one passage this morning, and maybe next week we'll see how Ben's doing, um, to, to glean a specific truth revealed in this passage. The first thing in context I want to lay out here is this. If you remember back on the 20th of December when I preached about the Good Shepherd, we talked a little bit about sheep. We are sheep. Jesus is our shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd. But see, sheep look like sheep for one particular reason, and that's because they're covered with wool. That's what makes them look like sheep. If you've ever seen a sheep sheared, <laughs> they don't look like sheep. They're pink, they're kind of weird looking. And Having worked with sheep when I was in high school, my next door neighbor on his ranch, when they came out of the shearer's pen, they all come out kind of, kind of bowed over and not looking around. They just, you know, it's almost like they are embarrassed in the way they look. And they should be, you know, because they don't have their wool. They don't have what makes them look like sheep. So James is not a rule book, R-U-L-E. It's a wool book, W-O-O-L. It gives us what we need to know about our lives to make us look like Christians, to make us look like God's people. Some people say that there's contradictions in the Bible, and they point to Paul and they point to James as a contradictory set of teachings. Okay, I want to clear that up this morning. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, <clears throat> Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9, God says through Paul, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So we are saved by grace through faith and not by works. So Paul is very clear in that. But I want you to consider this. Paul also speaks of works. In Philippians 2, verses 12 and 13, It says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, so which is it, grace or works? Yes, <laughs> it's both. Salvation is accomplished through Jesus Christ on the cross. It's a free gift given to us. 
We don't deserve it. We don't earn it. We can't earn it. So it's a free gift given. But because of that salvation, Paul says there's things in your life that you need to work out, and you're working out your salvation. So there's works because of salvation. James add to this, adds to this by talking about our wool. And that is works because of our salvation. We're not earning anything. Please hear that. We're not earning anything. It's a free gift of God. Because of that gift, we can then work in His kingdom. And God calls us to be busy for His kingdom. For example... If you just thumb through the book of James, if you have an ESV that has the little headings above each, maybe not each chapter, but several chapters, you'll see headings like this. Endurance. Wisdom. Prayer. Trial. Approval. Giving. Anger. Speech. Poverty. Love. Mercy. Faith and works, words, behavior, peace, quarreling, envy, slander, judging, boasting, planning, compassion, prayer, forgiveness, counseling. That's just naming a few. That sounds like wool to me. That sounds like things that God has called us to be involved in and while Paul talks about salvation by grace through faith and then doing things that please God, that is works, as a result of what God has done for us, James says the very same thing. We are to work because of what God has done for us. The things that he has done through, uh, for us through Jesus Christ, there is no contradiction in scriptures at all. So if you've wondered about that, if you've heard that in the past, please put that to rest. There is no contradiction because God spoke every word of his word and God, there is no contradiction in God. So let's go to the source. If we want further proof of this truth, Jesus himself said we have work to do. In John 6, 29, Jesus answered them, this is the work of God. Then he said, this is the work of God that you believe in him who has sent me. We're to believe. Our work is to be believing in Jesus. It's not just a one-time belief. It's not just when I was nine years old and I walked down the aisle and I shook the pastor's hand and I, I prayed with him and Then the next week, I took a quick dip in a cool pool. And all of that was a beginning. It was a first step of, of my life as a Christian. But that wasn't all that was involved. That was, that was a beginning. It wasn't just a one-time belief, but it was, it was starting a lifestyle of believing, putting that I-N-G on the end of the word. We are to be believing in the one who sent Jesus. We are to be believing in Jesus. We're to be walking. 
We're to be speaking. We're to be demonstrating the love of Jesus to people every, with every person we come in contact with. A perfect example of that was what Bill was talking about this morning. If someone comes up to you and says, you know, I've, I've got this burden, and they share this burden, and would you please pray for me? You should stop and say, yes, let me pray for you right now. You're, you, you may shock that person. That may never have happened to them before. Hallelujah, what a shock. You know, let's shock people and stop. And, and hey, you can get hand sanitizer, hand sanitizer later, but take them by the hand and pray for them. Right in that moment. Or if you're on the phone. Or if you're texting someone. Has anybody here ever texted a prayer to someone? I mean, I've gotten some of those. Those are amazing. You know, be sure you check the words before you send it because the autocorrect can do some really weird things sometimes. But you can email a prayer to someone. See, because of the technology that God has given this the ability to develop, our prayers can reach so much further in personal contact than just one-on-one. -on -one. But let's don't forget that one-on-one -on -one contact. Because I, I, I can't tell you how many times that, you know, somebody's asking me to pray for them, and I say, oh, yes, I'll pray for you. And I really meant that I would, and I see them the next week in church, and I was like, oh. I didn't even want to ask how the, you know, how, you know, I prayed for you this week. How was there an answer? I would just kind of go to the side and think, yeah, I'm, I, I'm too embarrassed to even say I didn't pray for you this week. So we miss out on the answers. Okay. That's how we are about and believing in Jesus. Action. Taking, taking action. The direction from God through Jesus was given to us very clearly in some of his final moments here on the earth. In Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The commandment in this passage is not go. A lot of people think the word go is the commandment. It's not. If you look at the original language, that word literally means as you go. Because Jesus knew that his disciples would be moving and going. Going back and forth to the synagogue, to people's homes, to the gym, to the, well, maybe not the golf course. But today we can go to the golf course. You know, and as we're going, we are to be doing one thing. That's making disciples. Another one thing, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded. Folks, that's the wall. That's what our lives are to look like because of who God is in our life. So the commandment is not to go, but it's as we go... We are to make disciples. That's what Jesus commanded us to do. We're to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. See, we are to be doers 
of God's Word. Not just hearers. I could have spent more time developing this, but I didn't want to go to a number of other satellite verses. But there were many times when Jesus said, those who have ears, hear. So we're not to just be hearers, but as we hear, we're to then go and do. He calls us to work, not for our salvation, but because of that precious gift he has given us. We are to then go and do what God calls us to do, and that's to make disciples. We often, we often describe ourselves as being Christians in our lives. Probably, uh, it used to be a higher percentage than it is now, but I, probably, I believe it's still a high percentage in the United States. You ask somebody, well, are you a Christian? And they'll say, yes. And if you ask the next question, what does that mean? Uh, a lot of times you'll get a lot of fumbling and stumbling, and um, then they turn and walk away because they may not know. I think the more appropriate term we can use is to be a Christ follower. Because that literally means walking in the footsteps that Jesus laid out for us. We're following Him. We're following the direction that God gave us. We are doing what He has called us to do. That's, it's always intrigued me to see the, the, the examples in the book of John of the, of the miracles that Jesus performed. And you see the exact same pattern in each miracle. And that pattern was this. He allowed human participation up to the point that humans couldn't do anything else. Then he performed the miracle that only he could do. Then he allowed human participation again. Take, for example, the wedding at Cana. I love this story on a number of, number of levels. One was Jesus' relationship with his mom. You know, it was, a, it was a typical, I mean, yeah, he's the son of God, but that was his mom. You know. And it was a very typical relationship. There at the wedding at Cana, Mary came up to him and said, <clears throat> Son, they've, they've run out of wine. Let's read the passage. In John 2, verses 2 through 8, Jesus also was inviting to the wedding with his disciples. When the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus came to him and said, They have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come. His mother said to the servants, Do what he tells you to do. Now there were six stone jars there for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 to 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, and they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. See, Mary came to Jesus and said they ran out of wine, and Jesus said, it's not my time. She didn't argue with him. She's told the servants, do what he tells you to do. 
She's a good mom. I mean, she was, she was concerned for people. So Jesus knew what was coming next. He had to provide, he was going to provide wine for the feast. And did he have to have the servants fill those jars with water? No. He could have spoken it. He could have simply thought, and they would have been filled with water. But they filled six stone jars of water holding 20 or 30 gallons. And I got to think, well, that takes a while to do that. You know, so he let them fill the jars with water because they could. They could do nothing else beyond that. So then Jesus performed the miracle and he turned that water into the finest wine anybody had ever tasted. Then he told the servant, draw out the wine and fill your master's cup. Jesus did not need them to do that. He could have simply made the wine appear in their cups. But because human participation could be there, Jesus allowed it. And he commanded it. That current pattern in miracles in Jesus was repeated. Think about the, the miracle at the tomb of Lazarus. Okay. Jesus used that same pattern, human participation, miracle was performed, and then human participation. In John 11, verses 39 through 44, the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead. In verse 39 of John 11, it says, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there, should, there will be an odor for he's been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always, I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said, unbind him. <clears throat> See, Jesus had the servants move the stone. Why? Because they could. Did he need them to? No. He could have brought him through the stone, or he could have moved the stone himself. He created that stone. But he allowed the servants to move the stone because they could. He then performed the miracle that nobody else could perform, and he raised Lazarus from the dead. <clears throat> then he told the servants to unwrap the burial clothes from Lazarus because they could participate he commanded them to do so. This pattern demonstrates that Jesus, while able to perform every miracle without a doubt, every miracle, he also allows human participation in what he was accomplishing and what he will accomplish here on the earth now and in the future. He allows us to be a part of that. He calls us to be a part of that. 
So why is this pattern important? Why is it important to recognize that? Is all of this really necessary? It is by God's design. God tells us that on the day of, of the judgment seat of Christ, referred to as the Bema, judgment seat of Christ, our deeds or actions will be judged by Jesus. Now, our sins are already paid for. Okay, so we're not going to be judged on sin issues. Those are already taken care of by Jesus on the cross. Okay, those are removed as far as the east is from the west, never to be brought up again. But what is judged by Jesus on that day will be our actions. The things that we did in our life to glorify God. Those actions will be the jewels that are set on the crown that we lay at the feet of Jesus as a sacrifice of our life to him. See, our actions are important. They're they're an important part of our lives. They're an important part of the kingdom advancement because God allows us to participate in what he is doing and what he has planned for his kingdom. Please please remember this, and I'm going to say this again because I don't want you to come out of this with with any wrong, wrong thought. For those of you who have confessed, repented, and asked Jesus for forgiveness, your sins are forgiven across the board. Okay. They're taken care of on the, by the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross. He died for each and every sin. Cannot forget that. There is no judgment coming to us for our sins because it's been forgiven. But our life story of believing in Jesus is what's going to be judged. In walking, loving, caring for others as we follow Jesus as our Lord and Savior, we are to be busy. We're to be sheep. We're to have wool. We're to look like what God called us to look like, to be doers and not hearers only. A few action points to take away this morning. In light of this truth for our lives for the rest of today and Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and so forth through the week, throughout 2021, remember this, we are to be doers and not hearers only. Jesus performed the miracle on the cross by dying and paying the price for our sins. We could not do anything for our salvation. Jesus did that. Then as a result of that, he calls us to act in accordance with his teachings. Believing in Jesus means we have things to do. We are to be moving and glorifying God. We cannot simply, as my grandfather used to say, sit on our blessed assurance in our favorite seat in the church and think that then everything is okay. You know, me and God are okay. I got my fire insurance on. It's not that. Okay, Jesus died on the cross so that our sins would be forgiven and then we're moving to glorify God in everything that we do. 
We are to be sowing seed in others' lives by our actions, by our words as we go. We're to be doers of God's Word. We are to be making disciples, teaching the truth of God's Word to other people, walking with them. Remember what Jesus did with his disciples. He walked with them. They spent three plus years together. Every step they took was together for the most part. He invested in them. He poured into their lives. That's what we're to do with other people. We're to be doers of God's word. And we're to be rejoicing in the promise that he will be with us to the end of the age. We're to be doers of God's word. Pray with me. Father, as we come to you this morning, we thank you for the truth of your word that you call us to be doers of your word. We're not to just be hearers. But we're to walk. We're to invest in other people around us. We're to share the gospel. We're to plant seeds. We're to make disciples. Father, there's no higher calling than that. Because that's the calling that Jesus made for each one of our lives. Father, help us do that with energy. Help us do that with the, the absolute knowledge that you're at work in us as we touch other people's lives. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. And it's in Jesus' name I pray these things. Amen. Okay. As we prepare to take the Lord's Supper, take your little cup. This is your first time you peel off the little cellophane on the top so they have the wafer. And then carefully peel the next one so you don't spill juice on yourself or your neighbor. Be careful with that. Consider what God has revealed to us today. That he loves us enough to care for us to provide for us and to give us a very real purpose in our lives, to be doers of his word. Part of what Jesus provided for us in our lives today is first of all to follow him in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. He instructed us in Luke 22, in verse 19, and he took the bread and when he had given it, when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given to you. Do this in remembrance of me. Take and eat. Then in verse 20, And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. Father, we thank you this day for this bread and this juice in remembrance of the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. Thank you for loving us. Father, I pray that you accept our worship in spirit and in truth. And in Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.